All right. There is something that all of your various sins and mine have in common. And I'm going to give you a clue. It's not how you were raised. And it's not the government. It's not even being a Queenslander. It's you. You're what all of your sins have in common. And what the Bible calls this is the flesh. So right throughout the scripture, the Bible refers to the flesh or the flesh nature. It is your physical self, your whole body and the mind that you were born with and the fact that it is a slave to sin. So yourself, your flesh nature was born as a slave to sin and therefore all of your sins have that in common. Make sense? Let me ask you a similar question. How does the desire to comfort your flesh play a part in each sin you commit? How much does the desire to comfort your flesh play a part in each sin that you commit? Now remember, sin is exchanging the glory of God for something else, namely yourself. Now when we are selfish isn't there ultimately a cause of comforting the flesh behind that? When we are immoral, isn't there a comfort of the flesh behind that? When you are angry, cowardly, a drunkard, lying, arrogant, isn't there somewhere a comfort of the flesh that you are getting out of those actions? Comforting your sin nature drives so much of what we would do. Remember the Bible says that the original sin was to become like God, knowing good from evil. In other words, you, our parents, Adam and Eve, believed that if we could make our own decisions about what was right and wrong for ourselves, then we would be content and to this very day, our sin, our flesh nature sits there believing that if we are the sole decision maker, if we alone can decide what is right or wrong, then we will be happy. And that is the lie that we live with. Perhaps we've codified that into the fabric of our society much more today than ever before. Now we've talked about this, but I'll mention it again. This is the reasoning that we are currently running with across our culture in the Western world. Whatever it is I desire is my identity. Therefore, if you belittle my desire, you are attacking my identity and by extension my humanity and therefore I have every right to destroy you. Now this is going on around the world constantly in the Western world right now. Whatever I desire is my identity. Therefore, if you attack my desire, you attack my identity, you attack my humanity, and I have the right to destroy you. So it plays out like this. I desire to be a cat. Right? This happens. Right now, this is happening in the Western world. I desire to be a cat. Therefore, being a cat is my identity. If you say I am not a cat 
then you are denying my identity. And by denying my identity as a cat, you are in fact denying my humanity. And you should be destroyed for that crime against humanity. Or I might desire for the world to be more environmentally active, which then becomes my identity. And if you refuse to move on this, you are harming my identity, therefore my humanity. You are causing me violence, and so therefore you should be destroyed. Now this is in fact what's playing out across the Western world right now. Whatever I desire becomes my identity. If you attack that desire, you attack my identity, therefore my humanity, and I have every right to attack you as someone who is attacking my humanity. Right? This is playing out across the world. Now, this is the world that we live in, that our flesh is in control and your desires are the most important thing. In fact, your desires equal who you are. This is the polar opposite of Christianity. The polar opposite of Christianity. You cannot and will not ever be able to reconcile those two schools of thought. Here's why. This is Romans 8.13. Because if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body you will live. So here's the world saying, all that matters is your desire, and that in fact is your identity, and no one has any right to criticize it, and then the Scriptures come along and says, your desire and your flesh is the very evidence of your status as dead to God, and you must crucify it if you would have life forevermore. You cannot reconcile those two points of view. Never let anyone tell you otherwise. That's the introduction which leads us to our passage together this morning and one of the key factors of following Jesus. So if you have your Bible, you can up to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, and we're looking at verses 1 to 6. 1 Peter 4, 1 to 6. Therefore... Since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same understanding, because the one who suffers in the flesh is finished with sin, in order to live the remaining time in the flesh no longer for human desires, but for God's will. For there has already been enough time spent in doing what the Gentiles choose to do carrying out an unrestrained behavior, evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and lawless idolatry. They are surprised that you don't join in, join them in the same flood of wild living, and they slander you. They will give an account to the one who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was also preached to those who are now dead, so that although they might be judged in the flesh according to human standards, they might live in the spirit according to God's standards. Amen. All right, our passage begins, therefore. So we must ask, what is it therefore, right? Everyone's got that phrase in their head? 
Okay, so it links us to the previous passage. That's what we've always got to remember. Therefore, it comes from the previous passage. It's our context marker. So ultimately, what we looked at last week, even though it was kind of a little bit unclear, was that the pathway for victory for Jesus came through suffering. So the pathway for Jesus to sit at the right hand of God and to be declared to rule over all authorities and powers, the pathway to victory came through the cross. Okay, that's ultimately what we saw last week. The cross of God, the wrath of God against your and my sin was poured out on Jesus on the cross. His pathway to victory came through suffering. So that was last week, and now Peter begins... Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, he was crucified, arm yourselves with the same understanding. What understanding would that be, church? That we are prepared for the flesh to suffer or even to be killed. In other words... To be a Christian, hear really clear this morning, to be a Christian means to deny the flesh. To be a Christian means that you are prepared to crucify the flesh. To be a Christian means that you refuse to let the flesh have dominion or rule over you. The world says your flesh defines you. Christ said denying your flesh defines you as a Christian. They are at polar opposites. Know what Christ said? Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Okay? Deny yourself, deny the flesh, deny your sin. Why does that matter so much? Why do we have to drill down? Why am I making such a point of this? Well, Peter tells you in our passage, because the one who suffers in the flesh is finished with sin. If you cannot accept that honoring Christ will require suffering in the flesh, you will lead a life of sin. It's that simple. If you can't understand that you must suffer in the flesh to honor Christ, then you will lead a life of sin. That's ultimately true. Every heresy of the church is based around people unwilling to suffer in the flesh. Last month was so-called Pride Month. And you always see it comes up on my news Christians and churches that come out and support it. Why? Because they won't crucify the desires of the flesh. So instead they cave to the demands of the flesh. Oh, but I was born this way. You can say you were born gay, born trans, born to cheat, born to anger, born whatever. And the Word of God says the same thing to each one. You must be born again of the Spirit. Doesn't matter what flesh nature you were born with. Honestly, doesn't. Because the answer is the same for every single one of us 
die to the flesh and be born of the Spirit. Okay, so it's the same answer for everyone. Everyone. But we must be willing to kill the flesh. Anyone is welcome to walk through the door of a church on Sunday and hear the good news. No matter what your background, no matter what you've been into in your life, all are welcome to come and hear that Jesus died to pay the penalty of your sin. That there is a way to God of guaranteed eternal life. And you can come to Christ just as you are, but you are then transformed, born again, and your old nature is crucified. Right? You must die to that old self to come to Christ. And that is the good news. And that's what Peter makes so abundantly clear for us in verse 2. Why does all this happen? in order to live the remaining time in the flesh, no longer for human desires, but for God's will. How are you going to spend your years honouring God? How are you going to spend your years honouring God's will? The only way you're going to do it is by saying no to fleshly desires. And this will cause you to suffer, to hurt in some way, as you deny that slave nature, as you deny the comfort that you want. But it's part of growing in godliness. Church, as a kind of a side, but a helpful one, this is the wonderful practice of fasting. Going 24 hours without food, just having water. I'll tell you one of the wonderful things about fasting is this. You will come head to head with your fleshly desire to eat and be comforted. Right, It just puts you straight away in that battle where you're like, the moment you say no to anything, you want it, and you're like, I just want food right here, right now, give me food. And you have to fight that battle. You're like, no, I'm not going to eat. I'm just going to commit myself to prayer, and I'm going to try and clarify my mind, and I'm going to try and honor Christ. Here's the thing. If you do that for 24 hours, you will actually reinvigorate yourself to say, I can say no to the flesh. I can deny the flesh nature. And it gives you that feeling of, you know what, I can in Christ conquer the desires of the flesh. It's a wonderful thing to do. If you can say no to your hunger, if you can say no to your desire for food, you might realize you can also also say no to other things. You might be able to say no to explicit material. I might be able to say no to anger. I might be able to say no to a lack of forgiveness. As we realize we can deny the flesh, it gives us the strength to keep honoring Christ. So try it, if you haven't. One day, two day, three day, whatever it might be, try fast. Say no to the desires of the flesh and realize that you don't have to give in to the demands of the body. Susanna Wesley the mother of John and Charles, she has this to say about the flesh, and I think it's great. Have a listen to this. Whatever weakens your reasoning, impairs the tenderness of your conscience, obscures your sense of God, or takes away your relish for spiritual things. In short, if anything increases the authority and the power of the flesh over the spirit, that to you becomes sin however good it is in itself. 
I liked it. Sport is not a sin in and of itself. Neither are hobbies, employment, computers, friendships. But if anything increases the authority and power of, of the flesh in your life, that is sin and stop it. Right? Whatever it is, it increases the authority of the flesh in your life. Even if it's a good thing in and of itself, stop it. And pursue the things which really, uh, help you focus on Christ. Now, all of this so far has been a bit negative. We're used to, we need to get used to suffering in the flesh, to denying the flesh, to being uncomfortable in order to honor Christ, which is true. However, at the end of verse 2, Peter says, so that we can, in our remaining time, live for God's will. Right? As you say no to the flesh, it enables you to say yes to the will of God. Right? That's the flip side of the coin. Saying no to the flesh enables you to say yes to the will of God. Now remember, Peter's writing to a Gentile church, some of whom would have been recent converts to Christianity, saved out of pagan lives, saved by the grace of God. And Peter is telling those people Whatever time you have, you want to use it for the will of God. Amen? However long you've got left, you want to use it for the will of God. Now, what is the will of God? That's the first question to answer. That's pretty straightforward. Everything that God commanded you in Scripture. Live out the Bible is the will of God. This is why in the great commandment it says, teaching them all that I have commanded you. The will of God is to live out what's instructed in Scripture. Do not get completely hung up on, oh God, what is the plan for my life? I'm just going to sit here and do nothing until you reveal the plan you have for my life. Do you know, it's very rare in Scripture that someone is called to a specific plan. You don't actually read about it all that often. And when they are, they're simply going about living a life of honoring God, and then God out of nowhere calls them. Think about Abraham. He was just living his life. God calls him and sends him off to the promised land. Or if you get to the New Testament, actually read the calling of the disciples. It says, while they were casting their nets, Jesus called them to come and follow him. While they were working as fishermen, Jesus called them to come and follow him. While Peter was sitting under a tree praying, oh God, I'm going to do nothing until you show him. No, he was working. Matthew, what was he doing when he was called? Do you remember? It says he was at the booth collecting taxes. He was doing the very job which made tax collectors despised. He was doing it and Jesus called him. Honor Christ, live out his word, do what it says. And if he has some unique, grand, specific call for you, that's great. But in the meantime, live out the Bible. Do it as best you can. There's enough in there to keep you busy. Right? Sharing the good news at every opportunity, always giving an answer for the hope that you profess, How, living a good and upright life. Like, do these things. And you will live a life honoring God's will. Okay, that's what you were called to do. Our great problem in this age 
is we have justified comfort. We have justified comfort. Oh, I have anxiety. I just don't do people anymore. Amount of times I'm hearing that. I just don't do people anymore. In reality, is another way of saying I just don't honor Jesus anymore. For most of us, our problem is not a lack of therapy. It's a lack of death to self. We sit here carrying on about the fact, oh, but that makes me uncomfortable. When our passage has just said this, Jesus died on the cross for you. He was spat upon. He was shamed. He was flogged to the bone. He was spread naked on a cross. The wrath of the Father was poured out on him instead of you. And Peter has just said, have the attitude of Jesus. And you're saying, oh, it makes me uncomfortable? What if Christ's attitude was, oh, the cross makes me uncomfortable? It's clear, isn't it? Now, I'm not saying there aren't real conditions out there that people can suffer from. Not saying that, but I'll tell you what, we are very good nowadays at justifying a lack of interest in anything that might make us uncomfortable. And frankly, it's pathetic. We are to have the attitude of Christ who endured the cross. Suffering in the flesh is a part of our Christian life. A part of honouring Christ. Being uncomfortable is no excuse. For the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross. The joy of obedience to the Father. The joy at sitting down at his right hand. Not the joy of the cross itself. That was suffering. For the joy set before us of seeing Christ face to face, we suffer. Right? It's not meant to be fun. It's not meant to be comfortable. It's the life we're called to have as we honor Jesus. 4, verse 3, enough time has already been spent by Peter's hearers, by you and me in carrying out the flesh. And Peter lists a few examples. Unrestrained behavior, evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, lawless idolatry, basically our modern playbook on how to live your life. Now, orgies, by the way, when referenced in the New Testaments, are always referenced with drunkenness. Don't know if you ever realize that. What's it effectively saying? Going out on drunken parties which result in immoral sexual behavior. Gee, that doesn't happen nowadays, does it? Drunken gatherings that result in immoral behavior. That's what it's talking about. Okay, this is the result of living in the flesh as it was in Peter's day, it is in ours. And then in verse 4, they are surprised when you don't join in and slander you. Now, in our context, that's probably referring to those who used to participate in those behaviors. 
It seems like it's referring to some of these Gentiles who were participating in that lifestyle and then were saved and stopped participating in that lifestyle. And so people started to absolutely slander them for their change in behavior, right? The fact that you used to join in and now you won't anymore. People won't understand when you don't give in to the ways of the world. When you deny the flesh, when you deny comfort to follow the will of God, the world sees you denying their very reason for existence. Do you realize that? If we're all born as slaves of the flesh and you deny the flesh nature, then the world sees you denying their very reason for existence. And they won't understand and they will slander you. Now, some of you have been there. For me, I became a Christian when I was a wharfie. Wharf's wild, rough place. And as I began to honour Christ, they could not understand. Sam, why are you stopping the way that we've always lived? Why are you not living that way? Sam, you're an idiot. Embrace the flesh. Embrace that lifestyle, right? It doesn't make any sense. Some of you became a Christian in a non-Christian family. And they perfectly understand it, don't they? No, they don't. They don't understand because you're suddenly living for things, well, you're not living for things, which they are, and you're living for things which they reject. It just puts you at polar opposite. And so they slander you. That is how it breaks down. And that's what Peter's saying. When you deny the flesh, you're denying their reason for living. And they don't understand. However, says Peter in verse 5, all people will be judged by Christ, will have to give an account on that great and terrible day. In context, what he's saying is this, is those who have slandered a Christian for obeying the will of God, ultimately are slandering God who commanded it. Right? If Christ himself is the reason we live differently, and then they are slandering, living that way, they're ultimately slandering the one who gave the command. One day they will stand before Jesus to give an account for their actions, is what Peter is saying. Rest in the fact that you don't have to fight, you don't have to stress, they will give an account to Christ for their actions. And then Peter, as always, grounds us in our true hope our true eternity with Jesus, suffering now, slandered now, but found righteous by the judge who bought us. Those who, are tried, those who tried to put us to shame will be put to shame. Those of us who suffer in the flesh now will be glorified. Right? This is the joy that sits for us. Finally, in verse 6, Peter brings this hope all together for us. And there's that link, another link word, for. For this reason, the gospel was also preached to those who are now dead. So it seems that part of the slander and accusation that came at the Christians in Peter's day that they were receiving is very much some, some of the same accusation and slander that you will hear today. And that was this. They were saying, some of you churchies have already died. 
They lived a life of denying the flesh. We knew them. We remember that guy and he stopped drinking and he stopped sleeping around. Remember that guy? He denied himself the flesh and guess what? He's now pushing up daisies like everyone else. He's dead like everyone else. See, you guys are idiots because you just die the same way everyone else dies. That seems to be the accusation that they were giving to the Christians of Peter's day. In other words, drink and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And it applies just as much to people in church as it does in the world, is the accusation. Peter says, yes, that's true. Christians do die. But that's why the gospel had been preached before as it's preached now. And you want to judge them according to earthly standards. You want to judge them according to the denial of the flesh. You want to judge them on how they live their life according to what the world says is a good life. And Peter says, no, you don't judge by how they live their life according to the flesh. You judge them by how they live their life according to the Spirit. In other words, you're assessing them now by the flesh, but ultimately they will be assessed by the Spirit and they will be found glorified. Right? That's why the gospel was preached, so that people could put their faith in Jesus and be saved. Right? So, yeah. We still die. But don't judge us by the things that we had to deny. Judge us by the fact that we have life in Christ forevermore, is what Peter is saying. Church, in short, in summary, and I want you to really think about this. Do you have an understanding to suffer in the flesh? Do you realize that I find it difficult or hard is not an excuse to not follow God's will? Your victory over sin, your following of the will of God doesn't depend on your enjoyment, doesn't depend on your comfort, doesn't depend on your strength and ability, but on committing to Jesus with his understanding and power and being willing to suffer in the flesh, knowing that one day you will be judged victorious. Comfort is not our God. And if you would conquer sin, and follow the will of God, except that the flesh nature is going to suffer. But your spirit will rejoice in Christ. Okay? We're not masochists. We're not seeking out harm. We're simply accepting that we have to deny the old nature in order to honor the will of God. Young people, older people, when pressure comes upon you from the world 
and your flesh nature wants to give in and join in the world and its desires. It takes a willingness to suffer, to deny, to crucify, to honour the will of God. Make that decision now and experience the joy of the Spirit in following Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. But we know to some extent what it cost Christ to win our salvation. Lord, of the earthly pain and suffering and humiliation, Lord, of the, the spiritual burden of bearing the wrath of the Father against our sin. And Lord, we are to have the attitude of being willing to suffer in the flesh, to, to deny the flesh. Lord, may we turn our back on the constant message of the world that comfort is our God, that comfort is our guide. May we deny self, may we die to the flesh. May we embrace what is uncomfortable to honour the will of God in our lives. Lord, we thank you our salvation is done by Christ and Christ alone. But Lord, we desire to live lives that honour you. Lord, help us deny the flesh, take up our cross and follow you. In your name we pray. Amen.